to another episode of Found City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. the Reese Incarnate, Bach Lesnar, and we are back from a time apart. We had our separate takes on the previous one, but now we're back because we have a special podcast. We have the matchup of the century in Munich, the Munich Madness mega whatever i can't really think of any more alliteration but it was a wild game reese really happy to be back so we can get into it but before we do that what's up reese how's it going let me know about your life dude uh everything's going well right now i'm not gonna lie it's just been a lot of a lot of work at work it's busy project season uh We've been working on our basement, so now I can say the basement is probably like ninety-five percent done. There's like Ooh. there's like two doors we need to replace, and a wall that shares a wall with the garage has a hole in it still from where they installed the HVAC. So like other than that, though, the basement looks good. So rocking and rolling over here. Bowie's getting bigger and bolder every day. He's sniffing around like for something to steal right now, but. Uh, yeah, what about you, my dude? How's uh, how's the opera gig life? It's been crazy. I was in Arizona. That's why we didn't... I just was in rehearsal like every single night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was fun. It went well. It was the weirdest opera that you'll ever see in your life if you go see it. And um, it was just wild. But it went really well. It was successful. And I might do more. Uh, now I'm in Omaha. Now I'm doing a, a Brahms Requiem in Omaha. And... I was in Omaha with the choir, like when we were in UMKC choir, we came, but we totally didn't come downtown because downtown just feels a lot different than what I remember. It's like Kansas City, but take out like two million people from Kansas City and like take out like like 75 percent of the businesses. Yeah, it has the same feel. It's just like it's just like Kansas City light. Yeah, no, it's it's super weird because I think it's more spread out than like what you would consider Des Moines. But I almost think that like Des Moines feels more like a city, yeah, than totally. Omaha does. Even though I think Omaha is bigger by a fair bit, but like really? it almost feel, it feels like a big metro area as opposed to like a city. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, because I'm like I am right by what's called the Orpheum Theater, which is like where all the national tour Broadway people come through, mm-hmm. and like. Mm-hmm. I got a burger last night at the Omaha Tap House, and I was like, oh, it's going to be packed. There are, like, kind of some people there, kind of not. I know it's a Sunday night, but there was, like, no one downtown. The burger was amazing. It was a super good burger, and I actually heard from the Soprano Solos, who's been here a few times, that Omaha Tap House is owned by one of the Omaha Steak restaurants, Mm. like one of the, you know, these, like, really expensive chop houses out here. Mm -hmm. So, like, the burger quality was solid. Dude, the beer, though... I don't want to like rip people like crazy, but the beer dude, oh man. And it was good beer. Like they had stuff from Colorado. They had stuff from like all over the place. They had a bunch of exile on tap too. But I just don't think that they like replace the kegs. Like Uh, I think they just like the kegs have probably been there for a pretty long time. Dude, that's a cardinal sin, not replacing your kegs or even worse, not taking care of your beer lines. You know, it's so... It's so funny. So, so the Rad Rush and Alex Nikolenko and I uh, went to Up Down a few weeks ago. Eh, probably closer to a month or so ago now. And he had never had pseudo sue, and they had it on draft. So I said, yes. "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna get us a couple pseudo sues." I did. We got up, played some pinball, cheers, took a sip. That was not pseudo sue. It was either 
It was straight up either like they, it, it kind of tasted like a lemon shandy ish sort of thing. And I know that Toppling does do like a summer shore shandy or something like that. So, like, maybe saw someone, someone saw like the Toppling keg ring was like, oh, this is the beer and it's the wrong keg. Or even worse, the lines are infected and or haven't been cleaned and Pseudo Sue just tasted disgusting on that line. Hopefully the former, but monitor your lines, people. Yeah, for those of you that don't work in the beer industry, cleaning the lines is probably like the longest task at the beer hall. We we had to clean our lines weekly and it took about six hours, I think, four to six hours to clean mm-hmm. just because of all the, I cleaned it once because like at one point they wanted me to, me to like be assistant manager and after I cleaned it once, I was like, hell no. Dude, it's- <laughs> I was like, that takes super long and like they have people come in at like, 4 a.m. Or, or or they'll have to stay when we close on a Sunday and stay till like 3 a.m. to clean the lines. Yeah, but dude, it's important. It's important. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Bowie just got some. I have no idea what it is. It looks like a piece of paper or like a slap bracelet. Interesting. Oh, it's like a it's like a wrapper to an old meat stick. Yeah, you can have that. Just don't just don't swallow that, buddy. In, in 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 order for us to get some uh, new Patreon followers, maybe we can have Bowie. We can have like a camera and say, "What is Bowie eating?" Yeah, and then you just <laughs> you just like always have to pry it out of his mouth. I think we'd get a lot of followers doing that. Yeah, dude. POV. You are Reese chasing Bowie to get something out of his mouth. Yeah, this is gonna go great. <laughs> if if that interests anybody uh, out there, Reese, how can they donate to the podcast to make this a reality? Go big, go pro, go donate on Patreon at patreon.com backslash FCSM. For the price of one cup of coffee a month, you can get access to exclusive miniseries including Season Zero and Speedy and Angry, our 11-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, Armando, if we're playing What's Bowie Eating Right Now, he's sniffing at our music scores. Guess which music score he's probably going to come up with. The Brahms Requiem. Ooh, actually, I know that's over there. Um, let's see. Nah, he's he's looking to the records now. Uh, nah, he must he must. Uh, nah, he's leaving it alone. No Brahms Requiem this time. But uh, yeah, Damn. check us out on Instagram as well. I'll, I'll post a photo of Bowie so you can check out what the dog looks like. I talk about him a lot, but he's a good boy. Uh, we also post people memes. love dogs and they love Taylor Swift. We can have both on the podcast. I mean, yes, we like can. Easy million followers. Dude, dogs and T Swift. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, let's do it. We are now a T Swift and Dog Podcast featuring craft beer. Check it out. <laughs> all right. Yes. Follow us on all those things, and we will have more dogs and we'll talk more Taylor Swift. Although Taylor Swift was not in Munich, but she was she was in New York, is that right? And like Britney was there with yeah. Taylor Swift. That, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they didn't fly out. Uh, also, this is for my own sake. Did they do it in Frankfurt or was it Munich? That was Munich. Why do you think Frankfurt? Because <sighs> I, I thought I remember hearing it sound like the radio. There was something about how like it's not. <gasps> You're Munich. right. It was Frankfurt. Yeah, like the Chiefs radio network said like Frankfurt's considered kind of like the Chicago of Germany, and that it's like not one of the two massivo cities like New York or L.A. But, you know, it's like an international city and it's big and people live there and it's cool. And it's like the third biggest city in the country, I think. Wow. Why yeah. did I think Munich this whole time? Because Munich's like the flagship city of Germany, basically. Huh. Yeah. Well, it worked. I mean, but there was a ton of people there. Actually, I know someone that was there. And after the uh, the uh, fumble return touchdown, they actually showed a friend of mine dancing. Really? 
Yeah, like at, at at Visitation Church, her and her husband went to Frankfurt, watched the game, and like right afterward, it was like her and her husband, she was like, yeah. And I was like, that's oh, funny. crap, I know that person. Dude, what are the odds of that? I mean, statistically, getting know, across the like world and on camera? Incredibly small, yeah. Everyone took pictures, put on Facebook. It was pretty funny. Dude, that's dope. Um, speaking of which, Reese, shall we? let's just get right into it, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's talk about this this game. First is last. I got to ask, what did you think of the stadium and the atmosphere? It was, dude, it was so electric. That was like, that like almost felt like Arrowhead electric. Mm-hmm. If not, definitely better than like last night watching Cincinnati or, Ugh. you know, other places. But no, I was very impressed. Shout out to all the Kansas City fans that went out. But also shout out to the fans that are in Europe that like really brought it. Like Country country Road. I, I, I don't like that song, but I was, I was about to tear up, dude. Yeah, what I want to know is, you know, I complain about the fields a lot. And I I can't remember if they mentioned this on the TV broadcast, but they did on the radio pregame show that they had. It's like an artificial turf with actual turf hybrid field. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, I can't remember what they said the artificials made of, but they sprinkle Mm. actual grass seed in there as well. And I mean, you could see like some divots were getting pulled up throughout the game, which I don't think was a, a bad thing. The end of the world. And minus our boy, Michael P. Ryan slipping on his one attempt in the game. I didn't. I don't think I saw anybody slipping or sliding or any serious injuries yeah. on there. No, I mean, nothing like the Super Bowl or any of the uh, turf like Minnesota that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice stadium. I think of all these international places, this is the one that kind of felt more like uh, I was watching football in a football stadium. It, it kind of reminded me of like the Alamo Dome in terms of like its design, but like way brighter and not as cavernous. Huh. Yeah, no, I th- I thought it was it was really electric, and even as a football game, like I kind of prefaced in the last week's pod that every single um, European game that I've seen has just been like seven to five, seven to eight, or or like or every offense starts to spark in the fourth quarter just because they've gotten used to the jet lag. But I felt like from the beginning, I mean, everyone was like you know guns blazing. I know I know Miami's offense. We're going to get into that wasn't spectacular, but I really think that was us. Like I really think if we did this game at Arrowhead I don't think the game would be much different than what we saw like this was a pretty accurate description of Miami and a pretty pretty accurate description of the Chiefs I forgot the stat that I saw we can get into it but um the the uh, Dolphins have never beat a a a winning team this year they're 0 and 3 against I think against winning teams and they're 6 and 0 against losing teams I could be incorrect on this stat but to expound a little bit on that stat I believe it's like they haven't beaten a team with a record over 500 since like last September. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. Have, just have, an they, have they just had the easiest schedule in like NFL history for two straight seasons? Well, as is the case after this game, the Dolphins are looking more and more like one of those teams, kind of a la the Bills, where they thump their chest and they do their best to blow out crappy teams, but they can't beat teams that are going to be like serious contender playoff teams. We've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I go so far as the fool's gold, but yes, the 70 to 20 against the Broncos is definitely looking a lot more um, as an enigma than anything else. Uh, so let's get into it, Reese. So the Chiefs beat the Miami Dolphins, which I did not predict, by the way. We nope. beat them 21 to 14. I said we were going to get blown out basically by this by this Miami, you know, the hottest offense in the NFL. But man, Reese, why don't we just get into it? This Chiefs defense. 
I think undebatably now after playing the Dolphins, even though we just said the Dolphins might be fool's gold, I'm just going to say it. This this Chiefs defense is elite and they've proved it for the last nine weeks and they've proved it against good teams. Like, that's it. This this defense is going to carry us to the Super Bowl if we get there. You know what? I think for the first time in FCSM history, I need to do something drastic for this. Are you, are you ready? You're, you're gonna disagree. You're gonna you're gonna make a tramp stamp of spags. I don't know. Just about. I'm gonna be issuing what I think is the first ever double decker cold snack take back in Fountain City sports media history. Reese Reese is about to chug two 32 ounces of of Montucky, and then and then his wife's gonna get home from work and say, Reese, what what are you doing? It's you know for the what? podcast. It's for the podcast. You know, forget that. We're going to make this a, uh, a triple-decker, double-down, cold snack take-back. I am apologizing to Armando. I'm wow. apologizing to the Chiefs defense. And I'm apologizing to Steve Spagnolo because this is an elite defensive unit. Whoa. Reese, Reese hasn't used the word E since we talked about Ray Lewis in 2000. No. No. Well, so I, I'm going by the Armando trend of definition of elite, yeah, top which five. is like top five of any given season. Because, dude, I mean, when you're looking at it top to bottom, there is no longer a weakness at any position in that defense, be it defensive line, linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks, everybody's strong. Everybody has at least like one good rotational piece to come in. They're playing fast. They're playing angry. They're playing aggressive. They are shutting down some of the, the best offensive weapons in the NFL this season. And it was on full display and then some with Tyreek Hill getting absolutely pantsed by the two players that we turned the Tyreek Hill picks into. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Ten targets, eight receptions, 62 yards, zero touchdowns. Take the L, Tyreek Hill. And this is a Tyreek Hill that was super pumped up, that like wasn't a walk in the park. Like He was ready for blood. Like He was ready to have a three-touchdown, 200-yard game against these guys. We shut him down, Reese. We shut down the best wide receiver right now in the NFL. Like he's on pace for what twenty three hundred yards, something like something ridiculous. I'm not even joking. Um, and we we shut him down, Reese. Dude, we really did. And you know, I, I was shocked because I didn't know if we had the speed on defense to keep up with him, dude. If you want to talk about like Trent McDuffie being the Tyree Kill killer. People were dogging on McDuffie because they said he might not have the athletic attributes to be an NFL cornerback. They must be talking about just his length and size because that dude is quick and that dude has a nose for the football and that dude tackles like a son of a gun. Man, I mean, what a game. We saw, we possibly saw the best defensive play that I've ever seen in my life. Hot take Mondo, that, that... Trent McDuffie strip on Tyree Kill, and then the pickup. Who who picked it up again? I Brandon forgot. Cook. Uh, Mike Mike Edwards. No, uh, no, sorry. He oh, picks yeah. it up, but then, but and then has the wherewithal to shovel pass to Brian Cook. Then we see Usain Bolt, Brian Cook, who should now be under center. Or sorry, not under center, but he should be our second running back now after dude. watching that dude. Put the Jets on and score that touchdown. Reese, that was the best defensive play I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, I mean, and the fact, too, that it's like you essentially score on a rugby play in Europe, whether or not they want that. (laughs) Rugby. (laughs) 
Uh, no, that's literally. Have you ever watched rugby? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's literally how like rugby works. Is like you have to get the angle on laterals, and then you have a lane and stuff. So the fact that like that happened in Europe will now forever be cemented in their highlight reels whenever they go and like show footage to like hype up European crowds and ticket sales. You're gonna see Tyree Kill getting the ball stripped from him and then lateral to Cook, who like you said ran like a freaking gazelle like. I, I thought he was high stepping and to like show legs off. up and every yeah <laughs> like no that was like to turn the jets on he was doing yeah well it's, it's so funny because I mean like my first thought was like I wonder if Tyreek's gonna run him down but like dude we had like two dudes on Tyreek right afterwards just you know took him out locked him up <laughs> it was beautiful dude I, I loved it I loved it um can we talk a little bit more about this Dolphins offense though because mm-hmm. You know, it, it, this is what's so hard is that obviously the Chiefs played a fantastic game. And uh, coming into this game, if you would have said, you know, who who's the Dolphins leading MVP candidate? I think the media would have said Tua. But in reality, the only correct answer would have been Tyreek Hill because Tyreek's the one who's going to be flirting with 2,000 yards and a billion touchdowns and all that stuff. It 1,000% mm-hmm. should be Tyreek. But after this game... Have both of them, Tua particularly, been knocked out of the MVP race for the time being? That's a good question. Um, Tua for sure, because Tua, I think we saw a shell of Tua. And I think I think what we did to them, I'm sure some other defense are going to copy. I'm sure defenses are going to start bringing the surprise blitzes that Spags does. And it really shakes them up. Like that very first drive when I think Sneed was coming at him on a surprise blitz on third down, Tua just ducked. He went down. And I, again, I haven't seen a lot of Dolphins film, but I mean, everything that I've seen, I haven't seen that all year. So when I saw that, I was like, I was like, uh oh, he's, dude is in for it tonight. And and to his credit, they, they actually played pretty well after that drive. But then again in the fourth quarter, then, then we see another, uh, you know, another scared Tua you know, to end the game. We had that snap um, and the snap was fine. He really just bobbled it. He had the yips. I know he saw people coming from either side. I mean, absolutely, Tua is no longer in the MVP, MVP conversation. I will say if Tyreek plays another you know Broncos equivalent or he plays a bad team and scores five touchdowns I bet he's back in the NF- in the MVP conversation well I think you hit the nail on the head and that most importantly not only was Tua exposed in this game for not being anything but a game manager but you could really argue they lost the game because of Tua you remember late in the fourth quarter there was that drive when they were deep and I can't remember who he was throwing to. It may, oh, maybe it was like Waddle, ten like, yards short, dude. He well, yeah, he had Waddle on the outside, wide open, and like either the ball slipped or he lame ducked it. But like we've seen him do that before, and like you said, botched touchdown right there. I think the very next play, didn't they get hit out of field goal range? Or, yeah, they got hit out of field goal range, which is why McCole Hardman fielded that stupid punt on the one or whatever it was. We'll get to that later. But <laughs> but then, like you said, to, to end the game. A pretty routine, normal snap. Tua boffs it. They don't even get a chance at a fourth down play. That's game over, dude. Tua cost him the game. Yeah, I mean, and and he he had pretty good protection all night, and it seemed like when he snapped the ball, he was like ten yards away. I mean, I don't know what McDaniel had planned, but he planned it so that you know that Tua was was going to have a lot of time, whether he, they were going to snap it like ten yards back or he was immediately going to roll left or roll roll right. So like he had the opportunities, but you're right, he just he like he can't make the plays. I think nope. I think what we see 
when we watch Sports Center, when we see all these other things, are design plays by Mike McDaniels that just go perfectly for Tua. Like I, I don't think Tua is the type of guy that is like the you know Trevor Lawrence of college football or you know Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers that that really you know dictate a game. Like I I'm. I'm almost positive every single Tua highlight we've seen is something incredibly scripted, probably in the first 15 plays. I think that's a good point. And, you know, Tyreek last year kept saying that Tua throws the most accurate pretty ball he's ever seen and all that. Man, I watched Tua straight up miss dudes three or four times throughout this game yeah. where I'm just like, yikes, good thing he overthrew him there because he had plenty <laughs> of space to run if he comes down with that. Oh, baby. Uh, yeah, not a great day for Tua. Yeah, Tua also not using his legs, right? Like I feel like I feel like that was a prominent feature of Tua when he came out of college. And of course we have the concussions and all, you know, all that stuff and he's afraid of getting hit now. But like that really, you know, that really hurt him. Tua 20 21 completions out of 34, only has 193 yards passing with that one touchdown. Um well, hey, and on I was going to say let's be honest here that one touchdown he threw was only because I guess OPI exists whenever officials feel like it exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and uh, exactly. So, like, are we even going to count that touchdown? And then if, if, if we look at his rushing, two carries, seven yards for Tua, Oof. where we have, you know, where we have Patrick Mahomes, like, carry the ball six times. One long of 16 and, you know, had 24 yards. When, when you double cover Kelsey, get ready for Patrick Mahomes to start running. We can talk about the offense soon. But um, mm. anyway, yeah, anything else you want to talk about with this Dolphins team? Do you think the offense is fool's gold? Well, so this is the one thing that I have to sleep with one eye open for is that uh, didn't Waddle kind of get a little shook up early, in, like in the beginning of the game? He came yeah, back and he contributed. But my only my devil's advocate thought is if Waddle is like 100 percent and uh, oh man, I can never say his D- name properly. Uh, Devon, Devon A-Chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if A-Chain it was used playing, to be A-Chain and then he changed it to A-Chain. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, if they were both playing, you know, does this change how this game turns out? And I don't have an answer to that. I mean, they would obviously have more weapons, but I mean, we, we shut down Raheem Mostert. I think it was like 45 of his 85 yards came in like that last drive and a half. Oh, so, okay. That makes sense. You know, uh, you know, would having a chain back there to give him a spell help him out? I don't think so, since I think we forced him to abandon the run pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I don't think that the Dolphins are fool's gold. I really think that they do have a great offense. I really just think that our defense is that good. Like, say the Dolphins play the Bills. You know, I, I, I know that the Bills are falling and they don't have, you know, the defensive weapons that they do. But I, but I wonder how the Dolphins would play against them. I wonder how they play against, um, you know, a better defense like... I don't even know as a good defense anymore. Well, the Ravens actually are playing really well. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just curious how they would match up. So I'm going to say that the Dolphins are still good, but again, this is a testament to our great elite Kansas City. De- excuse me, Kansas City defense. Reese, I have a question for you, and then we can talk about the offense. Mm-hmm. Do you think Chris Jones gets another deal after this? After we've seen this defensive line cook without Chris Jones going crazy. I mean, Chris Jones didn't have a QB pressure last week and still Karloftis is getting there. Dan is getting there. Amenahu is getting there. Um, and then again, our corners are elite. Reese, is this, is this helping the Chris Jones stock for next year or not? Cause I mean, he didn't play that great. 
No, I think uh, he's had a few good games in here, a few sparks where I think he's trying to get to his incentives. But, you know, I, I think he's just going to be too big of a cap casualty next year. He's going to want right around $30 million. And I, you know, playing armchair GM, it's like you cut MVS, you cut Chris Jones, suddenly you free up just about $40 million in cap space right there. And, you know, we obviously have other positions we need right now more than defensive line. As you alluded to, we got a lot of guys coming up in the pipe right now. Uh, you know, Carl Loftus is showing strides this year. I think Felix Andedeke Ozama is going to make some strides going into next year. Amenahue is coming back. I think we're pretty set on D-line where we don't need, you know, a superstar D-lineman to anchor that unit the way we have in the past. So, you know, especially, especially after that boneheaded personal foul oh yeah this this game would have been 21 to 7 oh it absolutely i mean i'll I'll give him a field goal there they probably it was a long kick though it would have been like just under 50 yards but Mm -hmm. you know it was a that was not a gimme and he basically spotted him four additional points right there that made this a game so no i i think it's a end of the line for chris jones after this year wow that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, because look, this, this defense is cooking and this defense is cooking without him. Um, let me say one stat actually that I, I haven't talked about yet. So this uh, this Chiefs, Chiefs defense has only allowed three receivers over 80 yards this season, and that's nine weeks. The, the, uh, the uh, three are Josh Palmer, Christian Kirk, and Josh Reynolds. Um, who else have we played though? We've played Tyree Kill, DJ Moore, uh, Ahmad Rod Sade Brown, Keenan Allen. We've played uh, Justin Jefferson. And by the way, all these guys except for Justin Jefferson are top 10 in yardage, in yardage this season. So look, we've had three flukes of some people that are playing the slot. Right where like we're probably double covering their best receiver and allowing these guys to cook, but showing that we can defend elite receivers and we have all year long. So give me Stephon Diggs, give me Jamar Chase, give me T Higgins. You know, give me all these guys that we're going to see in the playoffs. Give me um, who's that? Who's I don't even know who wide receiver one is anymore on the Ravens. But give me like Odell Beckham Jr. and that other guy Zay Flowers. Like we're we're ready, Reese. We are. This defense is playoff ready for elite offenses, and that's something that you and I have never said in our entire lives as Chiefs fans. And now we're able to say it, and it's very exciting. What's not exciting though is this Chiefs offense. This Chiefs offense, Reese. Do we want to get into the Chiefs offense, or shall we review a beer and then talk about the bad? Let's uh, let's review a beer when I'm feeling a little bit better, and then uh, we'll talk about the bad. <laughs> yes, good? the uh, the uh, beer is going to help us kind of segue into some not great things like the Chiefs offense. But hey, let's talk about some more good things. Crack open a beer, and we'll get right into it. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Reese is going to review review a tasty beer. Stay tuned. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. We took a little break. Reese had a little dog fiasco, but he is back and he is ready to sip some beer. So, Reese, let us know uh, what you're going to sip over there and let us know how Bowie's doing. So, Bowie is too smart, period. Uh, he has now figured out how to open up the sliding patio door if I do not physically lock the sliding patio door. So that makes three different kinds of doors that Bowie has now successfully figured out how to open. Uh, a fourth, if you want to count his doggy gate, which he knows how to, I think. He just can't seem to do it right. So 
he's getting there. Reason being, what Bowie is Has- is actually doggy gate. Hashtag doggy gate, baby. Doggy gate 2023. <laughs> so the reason why Bowie's so smart and so eager to do this stuff and problem solve is that he's actually a ranch dog. We got Bowie off of a ranch in Kansas. You know, he's like bred to work. He should be working. So I think in honor of being a ranch dog, the only proper way to celebrate is with from Broken Skull Ranch, Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA from El what? Segundo Brewing Company. Oh, tell me the origin story of this. Where'd you find it? How did you know about it? How pumped were you when you saw it? So I know this has been a thing for a while. I, I would say at least probably three or four years, and I've always been meaning to get it, but I never do get it. Uh, so I don't even know where El Segundo Brewery is. Looks like it's in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, so here's the story behind this. <clears throat> Broken Skull India Pale Ale, badass 6.7% IPA designed by Stone Cold Steve Austin at El Segundo Brewing Company for the working man and woman. It features Citra, Cascade, and Chinook hops to deliver big Ooh. flavor with an easy finish. Now stop reading and start enjoying this awesome beer. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. That may be the best beer intro of Fountain City Sports Media history. Dude, I, what I want to know is what is Steve Austin doing brewing a beer with Chinook hops? Like, how does he know that that's like one of my favorite hops? Dude. I don't, dude, he, 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 he read your mind, dude. He did. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, Steve Austin does own a ranch out in like Texas or something like that. And it's called it's uh, awesome. Broken Skull Ranch. So I guess El Segundo must have gotten like the uh the naming rights to the rights to yeah. that and i know his podcast was actually fairly big again probably about four or so years ago i mean he was i don't want to say he was like mcafee before mcafee but it was he was like one of the first kind of like i put this in quotes you know, like major sports figures that kind of like did his own podcast and there was uh-huh. a lot of like old, old wrestling stories but like he'd also bring on celebrities and stuff and just like talk about their lives so yeah you know trailblazer and uh making beer wow that's amazing. Well, Reese, that again, best intro in beer review history on Fantasy Sports Media. Now let's see if this becomes the best beer in Fantasy Sports Media history. And first, we're going to start with appearance. Let us know what that beer looks like, Reese, and tell us what's going on. So this looks like a pretty standard hazy IPA, which I wouldn't have guessed it was a hazy. Uh, but I mean, I guess Citra and Cascade kind of fit the bill. It's got a very kind of like... Uh, golden roddy orange juice color to it it's got a nice foamy head probably about an inch and it's like it's staying there i've been waiting for it to go down but it's just hanging out uh, a lot of variation in the size of the bubbles there not a whole lot of action in the glass can't see like anything through the glass so i mean it's sound or it looks appetizing so i'll give appearance on that a 8.5 solid 8.5 all right um, all right, then let's go to, let's see, let's go to, what are we doing? Aroma! Give that beer a sniff and let us know what it sniffs like. It's definitely very fruity. Some sweetness in there. I can't tell if I'm smelling bitterness because of the Chinook or I just really want to smell bitterness, but... You know, kind of that orange-ish, uh, I would never call Steve Austin orange cream by any stretch, but you know what I'm talking about, kind of that orange sweetness, a lot of like tangerine in there, maybe a little bit of pineapple, 
but I'm not really getting a whole bunch of like the resiny uh, pininess of the Chinook that I kind of hope for. So, I mean, it smells like a fine beer. I'm just going to give it a 7.8 on aroma. Wow. All right. Solid 7.8. Now let's get to our favorite category then, Reese. It's flavor. Take a sip of that beer and let us know if you love that Chinook hop. Okay. I definitely taste way more Chinook than you smell. In fact, I'd say one of the uh, the forward-tasting profiles on this beer is kind of that old-school West Coasty pininess of the hop, which I really like. And uh, let me take another sip of this. Armando, while I am blathering on, would you mind looking up what hops are in Heady Topper? Yep. I'm just curious. You're, are you uh, really going to compare us to Heady Topper? Oh my god. Well, no, I don't want. It's it's nowhere near Heady Topper. Let's get that straight. <laughs> like Heady Topper is in a league of its own, but the combination like, of be like a fire review, the combination of the light fruitiness, but with an overall more bitter, dank hot profile, kind of makes this like an absolute training wheels Heady Topper of sorts, wow. including good. including the color. You know. Let's see. Let's see here. This is good. Mm. I'm not seeing it on hmm. Beer Advocate let's tasting see. table. Okay, let's see. It's on Homebrew Talk. I'm, I found a forum where they say, "Can I can I clone Heady Topper?" Yeah, I was going to clone Heady Topper. I'm sure. Just from what I'm seeing, I'm seeing Simcoe, Centennial, Columbus. Okay. So pretty so, your standard like dank hops. Yeah, so it's a little dank. This, this, I see another heady topper clone Am- Amarillo, in there. Citra. Yeah. Cascade. So you know You know what? Um Again, this isn't heady topper. But it definitely does lean more towards like an American style IPA, which I've actually been jonesing for in a while. So I'm going to say, to quote Hulk Hogan, if you just think I was the right place at the right time, which I think this beer absolutely is, uh, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it an 8.35 on flavor. Was that Hulk Hogan or was that uh, Rick and Morty? Uh, kind, of, kind of both. Yeah, it's, it's like young Hulk Hogan. He's hard to do. <laughs> that was funny. All right, so pretty good flavor. I mean, look, even if it's like Hetty Topper Jr., that's still, you know, some of the, the greatest flavors out there. So we got flavor. Let's do some mouthfeel. Reese, how's that American IPA? Is it feeling a little heavy? Is it feeling light? Both. Surprisingly smooth, but very sparkling. Mm. Uh, it's easy. It's easy to sip. But I know I don't know if bitter can be a mouthfeel sensation. I don't think it really is. But it's it's not one you can chug. This is a sipping IPA, but this is a good at the bar IPA. When you want some I would say this is a slugging IPA. So you got crushing IPAs, sipping IPAs, and slugging IPAs. This is one where you just want to take like a big swallow of it and just kind of like let it do its thing and then you wait before you go in for your next swallow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of the mouthfeel on this. Uh, I'm going to give it... 
that's honestly that's not my favorite beer. There's a time and a place for that. I'm going to give it probably another uh, eight. I'll give it an eight two on mouthfeel. All right, solid. An eight two on mouthfeel. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good rating right there. All right, Reese. Then we have our final category. That is Stonk's drinkability quotient. With everything in mind, the can art, the the can quote, the origin story, the hops. What do we got? So this is just me talking off the cuff that if we're going to add up the quotient of all I've been saying through this review, what we have is an impressive color, a nice hot blend, going down easy, and uh, you know a baby training wheels heady top or whatever you want to call it. All this is adding up to a pretty solid beer, and I'm not going to lie, I've been looking for like a solid, more old school-ish IPA, and dude, judging by the text on the back here, yeah, I would say this is a badass 6.7 IPA designed by Steve Austin for the working man and woman. So I think they set out what they went to accomplish with this beer, and also, let us never forget, a little bit of pro wrestling history here. There have probably been longer-lasting stars in the wrestling world than Stone Cold Steve Austin. But when Stone Cold Steve Austin fever was at its peak, wrestling was at its peak. And you could argue of all the little dips and divots they've had on their popularity meter, at the very tippy top for a moment in time was the Attitude Era led by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was everywhere. He transcended wrestling. And uh, he wasn't too bad in the longest yard either. So, Stonk's Drinkability Quotient on this one. What a fun beer. I'll probably go out and get a six-pack at some point again. Let's give it a uh, a nine on Stonk's Drinkability Quotient. Woo! We got high remarks on this American IPA that Reese is trying right now. And Reese, you said they, they can get it in Kansas City or they can't? They can't. I got this to the pairing. Uh, it was a, a single can, but I'm pretty sure I've seen I'm pretty sure I've seen six packs of it. I think it was another Broken Skull something or other. But no, dude, this is this is a solid American IPA. That's fun. Yeah, look, if you're comparing it to um, again to Heady Topper being close, it's got to be good. So everyone in Kansas City, go uh, run out to the pairing, grab this amazing beer that Reese just just soliloquied for our beer review. Um, that was fun. You know, what's not going to be fun, Reese, talking about this offense for another week. So let's uh, quickly get out of here and quickly talk about this offense. <laughs> an interview kind of Reese tell us the long name of the spear again so this is Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA from El Segundo Brewing Company there we go everyone check that out run to the pairing grab it it's great Reese is sipping it having a good time and he better be sipping hard because we're going to talk about some hard hard stuff right now that's right it's another week of What's wrong with the Chiefs offense? Oh. Womp, womp, womp. And then we can finish the podcast talking about special teams because that's always fun too. Reese, week after week after week, we have the same conversation we've known since week one. This The flaw of this offense. We're in week nine and it feels like nothing nothing's happened. I actually have a, a real question for you. Um, 
So the beginning of this game goes well, right? And mm-hmm. I think it goes well because we have the first 15. We have scripted plays from Andy Reid where Andy Reid has spent the whole offseason and this season nine weeks tweaking the 15 that he's going to do for the Miami Dolphins game, right? And then after that, everything goes off the rails. So my question for you is, is this a Matt Nagy problem? Who is calling the plays after the first 15, and why can't we counter a defense that obviously makes adjustments, and then we got nothing for him? What's going on, Reese? Is this is this Nagy, or is this Reed, or a little bit of both? Well, I'm glad you brought up Matt Nagy, because I was thinking while having my Cinnamon Toast Crunch this morning, I'm like, if I was going to be dogging on Eric uh, Bieniemy for the last two seasons about the offense doing some weird things... I do need to, in all fairness, start dogging on Matt Nagy for some of this because, dude, it looks really, really bad. But what makes it so difficult to dog on Matt Nagy is the fact that he did have a successful tenure prior to Patrick Mahomes here in which he had Alex Smith sorry, and really made the offense click. So, sure. you know, and again, he brought the best. Alex Smith was thrown for 4,500 yards and I think like 25, 30 touchdowns a year. So, so wild. <laughs> but so then the flip side of that coin is, is that during Bienemy's tenure and now culminating in Nagy's tenure, we've seen a depletion or a brain drain in the weapons Mahomes has had to work with. So if we're going to go back to like Matt Nagy, Alex Smith era, Kansas City Chiefs, we had a rushing attack of like Spencer Ware, Chark Hendrick West, and towards the end, Kareem Hunt. Obviously a better Result. rushing attack, right? Yep. Looking at the wide receiver room, we had dudes like Jeremy Macklin. We had young Tyree Kill. We had young Travis Kelsey. We had Sammy Watkins for a hot second. Better wide receiving room, right? Mm, don't than this year. Than this yeah. year, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you? What are you even talking about? Wait, but but Macklin. Macklin, Kelsey, Watt, Watkins, and Kel- and Hill were on the same team. I don't. No. I don't think they were ever all on the same team. But like, he always had. I think three or four, three out of four of those weapons at any given time on this team. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yes. Then you're right. Correct. Now there was the year that we didn't throw a touchdown to a wide receiver all year. Right. The entire year. But I Crazy. can't recall if that was under Matt Nagy's watch. And number two, I couldn't tell you a single wide receiver we had on that team outside of maybe like Dwayne Bowe, who was not. That was the also guy. the Chiefs' best record that year, right? That was when we went like twelve and four and went to the playoffs, something like that, and they won the division. But you know, yeah. so this is all very confusing. I don't know if it's Matt Nagy's fault, but what I do know is it's just not working, and this isn't sustainable to be this bad for much longer. Yeah, the reason why I bring up Nagy is because it's easy for us to talk about the wide receivers and saying it's their fault. But the first 15 actually looked really great. Like, it seemed like all the guys were getting into space, right? We saw a little bit of Sky Moore. We saw a little bit of Kadarius Toney. Uh, we saw some great plays by Justin Watson, right? Rasheed Rice, always doing great. Um, and then, obviously, Kelsey's cooking. So we had, like, five guys, individual guys, make at least one good play during the first 15. And that's why I think, yes, like, we should still be blaming the wide receivers and I have wide receiver stats to say how awful they played in the second half but that's an indicator to me that like okay now something's happening now something's wrong that is beyond the wide receivers because they played the first 15 perfectly like thing they were getting into space it seemed like the dolphins were playing this soft coverage to stop the you know the the deep ball from happening 
But then something happened there where it's like, okay, it is the wide receiver's fault, but something's happening with the gameplay. Again, I don't know if it's the Andy Reid conservativeness um, or, you know, a, a nuanced argument that we just haven't talked about, which is why I brought it up, is Matt Nagy. So, I mean, it could be a recipe of all three, but for some reason something's happening and it, it hasn't improved. Like Kelsey said last week on his podcast that people were just straight up not running the right routes against the Broncos. Um, I don't know if it was the same case in the second half. I have no idea, but something's wrong. You know, and one more little nugget to try and exonerate Nagy is that you have to remember that he was the OC for the Bears when Mitch Trubisky and co. went 12-4 and and were a double doink away from being in the divisional round. So it's like, if he can drag that offense to play like that, you know, we got a much better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky going on. So do we need to blame the wide receiver coach? I know it's his, it's his first year. Is he a big problem? Or is it just like I said last week, do we just not have a Juju Smith-Schuster this year to be reliable on third down? And Travis Kelsey's a year older, so we got nobody to throw on. Yeah, I mean, if we want to, I'll, I'll work backwards from what you just said. Like, yeah, I, I think if we have to go like the blaming game, then maybe the wide receivers are one, and then maybe two is either Andy Reid's conservativeness, and then three Nagy. Um, but when it comes to Kelsey, like Kelsey at one point in the third quarter was triple covered. Like there was that I don't know if you saw one of those replays they played, but it was like it was like Kelsey was double covered. He pushes one guy off, and then another guy comes in and shoves Kelsey. And it was like on any given moment, there are three guys at least in his zone. And I was like, okay, but if there's three guys, like maybe I'm not the biggest football mind, but I know if there's three guys, that means that one guy's open. That means someone, someone out there is either single covered and soft coverage or something's happening. But again, like I think that's just going to be the script that these defense are going to do. They're going to rush three. They're going to, they're going to cover three of Kelsey and then make, MVS beat us. Well, okay, let's play this game then. Can we assure that there's one other guy open even with the numbers game? Because we've shown these wide receivers struggle in making separation. And if they're running yeah. the wrong routes and running into where people are playing us in zone coverage, which is known to be Patrick Mahomes' Achilles heel, what are they right. doing? And when they are open or they do have, you know, a step of separation on someone, we've seen it a million times with Tony, with Valdez Scanling, with Sky Moore. They can't bring it in. So it's just like, yeah, you know, the, you started this conversation off with the question, like, what's wrong with the Chiefs? I think we could ask what's right with the Chiefs offense right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what's right with the Chiefs offense is Patrick Mahomes running the ball. <laughs> like, that's literally it. That's it. Um, <laughs> here, let me let me read some some stats and then we can uh, we can we can put a cap on the on the offense. But just to show you how how terrible this is, the Chiefs here. Here's this Chiefs second half receiving stats. So again, like I said, first half was pretty impressive. That's where we scored most of our points. Second half leading receiver was McCole Harbin with 17 yards oh. with two targets. The second the second most leading was Justin Justin Watson with one reception for seven yards. Oh Kelsey, gosh. one reception, seven yards. Targeted only twice in the second half. Wow. Kelsey targeted twice, seven yards total. Noah Gray targeted once for six yards. MVS targeted twice for one yard. Everyone else not a single target. Pacheco, McKinnon, Tony, Rasheed Rice, Sky Moore. Uh, zero catches, zero yards in the second half. I, I don't get this. I really don't. 
but maybe I need to watch the all 22 film more in depth than I am. But it's like at this point, are we still trying to play this game of let's just distribute the ball to everyone? Because like, why aren't we just like, you know what? Screw it. Force feed Rashi Rice and Kadarius Tony. Because honest to goodness, they're the only two I trust. I know, I know, I think Tony's been unfairly put in the doghouse after that week one performance. But you have to remember, in that game, he was open a good three or four times with like nobody on him. So and and coming off of injury, this whole didn't practice this whole season with Mahomes. So he's, he's got ring rust. So my question is, do you think? Like, and this might just be me grasping at straws at this point, like wanting to find a solution. But do you think Andy knows who we need to feed? And at this point, he's like waiting to when he has to use it in the playoffs to be like, hey, guess what? Bengals in the divisional round. This is the Rashi Rice game where he gashes you for 130 yards because we're just going to force feed him. Or even like this is the, the game where all these weird routes to get Kadarius Tony into space. I'm just going to use all of them. Do you think that's a thing? I mean, I definitely wouldn't put it past Andy Reid to be playing 40 chess because he did that in in the Eagles game, right? We we hadn't seen any Sky Moore and we barely saw some Kadarius Tony during the regular season. And then those the those are the two heroes of the Super Bowl. So yes, he could be playing um, 40 chess, but also I don't like to see zero targets, zero receptions for Tony for Sky Moore and for Rishi Rice in the second half. I mean, it's just like, it's like that, that is like 7D chess. If he thinks we're going to win and then is playing them to the very end. I don't know, man. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good either way. Well, so here's another thing too. So I talked about this in the podcast last week in that, are we utilizing these receivers properly? And I alluded right. to Sky Moore's breakout game, supposedly against the Chargers in week 11 last year and the different kinds of routes they were having him run that game versus what we've seen him run this game. Early in the first half, he had two targets that came to him that he brought in. And there was one in particular, I think it was along for like 20 yards or something like that, that I'm just like, that. I'm like, he ran that exact route against the Chargers in that Week 11 game. Why isn't he just running those kind of routes mm-hmm. all the time now? Because he's shown he could do it and get open. Yeah, I mean, like, Andy's too much of a genius that I doubt he crumpled that up and threw it away. He's probably, he probably has it highlighted, has it filed away for the playoffs, maybe. I don't know. Like, like, like juxtapose our offense with Miami's offense. Tyree Kill, 10 targets. Uh, Jalen Waddle, six targets, even when injured, right? They go to their guys and they spam their guys. And like you said, I think we got to get there because who had the most targets in the game for us? It was... It was Justin Watson with five targets. Like, okay, again, like you said, it's cool. We have all these guys we can go to, but you're right. It, it, we, we have to get to a point where we start playing like a Dolphins team, like a Bills team, like a Bengals team that is spamming all their elite guys. Ten, I mean, Kelsey should have 10 targets a game. Rasheed Rice should have eight, seven to eight targets a game. You know, Tony should have at least five targets a game. It shouldn't be that our our best receiver, or not our best receiver, but our most targeted receiver has five. Like you're right, it has to start. You know, just like just like a NBA Finals team, they go from 15 on the roster to when you get to the M- NBA Finals, it's eight or nine guys. Most likely, it's eight guys playing, and we got to do that. Well, I'll tell you what kills me even more, and this is going back to the Bengals game last night against the Bills, is that like. 
watching the Bengals weapons and we've bemoaned this a million times they roll three deep at wide receiver one but even then some of their ancillary pieces like their you know backup tight ends and all that stuff they got good hands yeah they're doing well yeah and it was crazy to watch him continual so Jamar Chase had a bit of an off night last night didn't bring in a lot of catches he normally would but you know who Maybe did lose my fantasy team dude Higgins you threw the ball to him. He was coming down with it like an animation in Madden. Every time it's like, look at this really awkward <laughs> arm position, but the ball hits him right in the hands and doesn't move and comes down. So here's the thing. You look at good wide receivers. They have to have a combination or at least two out of the three of good hands, athleticism, size, and speed. Well, no, I'll put speed with athleticism. So athleticism, good hands, and size. Is there a single wide receiver on our roster right now who ticks two of those three boxes? Mm. <laughs> well, Marquez Valdez Scantley is supposed to be athleticism and speed, but uh, no. You see in the way he runs like a baby giraffe, dude. He is the slowest, stiffest, fast guy ever. He had- oh, actually, yes. We actually do have one. His name's Brian Cook. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll put line Brian. You know, I used to do that. Shout out to uh, Goldilocks. We used to do that on NCAA. We'd find like the most athletic oh, players really? have them like, play both ways. Like, uh, uh, who's the guy in Colorado? Uh, t- uh, Travis Hunter. Yeah, we were, we were doing that before. That was big. Uh, but no, it's like if you look up and down our our list, dude, I, I don't know anybody on here who ticks two of those three. Like Kadarius, no, Kadarius Tony has athleticism, but he doesn't have great hands. He doesn't have great size. Same goes with Rashi Rice. His hands aren't great right now. He's got good athleticism, not great size. Justin Watson, good size. Dude, That I think that might be part of the problem with his wide receiver room. Is I'm, I'm just tired of drafting dudes that don't do anything well. Yeah, and we, we don't have the it guy. We don't have the guy that can make the play. We have moments of that spurts of genius from all these guys, right? We've seen great plays from Tony, from from Sky, from Rice, from Watson. Um, but it's not consistent. and it, it hasn't been. I don't know what's going on. So prayers to the um, Chiefs offense that something happens because uh, it's not going to get any easier. We got the we got the bye week. I hope the bye week that's when we start figuring out. That's when Kelsey gets on these guys. That's when Andy Reid's like check this out. And then when we play the Eagles, then we see a new Kansas City offense. Hey, I I know we're running low on time here, but there is one question I wanted to ask you that I was actually pontificating last night. Again, during is, is, the Bengals Is game. McCall Hardman mid? Yes, he is mid. <laughs> mid Cole Hardman? Yeah, no, he's, he's pretty solid. Uh, so here's my big question to you. Okay. The Chiefs put up 21 points against Miami Dolphins. The offense is terrible. Okay. What's going on? Sound the alarm. The Cincinnati Bengals, with all their weapons, with all their majesty, struggle to put up 24 points, but everything seems fine. Am I missing a difference here? I'm not saying they're not wrong. I didn't feel... This is just something that came to me. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. One thing with Joe Burrow, especially in the playoffs, is like he's won every playoff game scoring an average of like 20 points per game, something like that. Are we just being like spoiled and overprotective of the Chiefs in that we're struggling to put up even 25 points per game right now when even loaded high-powered offenses don't seem to do that regularly? That's a, this is a good question, and I, I think it's half and half. I don't think it's very black and white. Um, 
yes, definitely there is a Chiefs problem. I don't think that this is just us with a magnifying glass. Like, absolutely, this is not like this is not rolling right now like no one's getting in space Patrick doesn't look comfortable he's rolling out and not that he's rolling out like he stays in the pocket he's he's been staying in the pocket more than I've ever seen him honestly uh, but for no reason right like there's just no one getting open so absolutely the Kansas City Chiefs have a problem and I don't think it's that we're spoiled there is something wrong two I I Yes, the yes, Joe Burrow scored only 24 points and we scored 21. But like Joe Burrow played well. Like I'm looking at right now, he he had 348 yards and he had two touchdowns. And the 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 big difference between them is that Joe Burrow and the Bengals always have a big play or multiple big plays. Even if they're only scoring 14, 17 points, we always see a highlight play from the Bengals and even the Bills, even the Bills last night. They scored 18, but there was still those plays from Stephon Diggs. I think even uh, Gabe Davis has had a couple as well. I feel like we rarely see that now with the Kansas City Chiefs. We rarely, and and if we do see it, it's like a crazy enigma of Justin Watson that does like a crazy play, but it's never Kelsey anymore. It's never Rasheed Rice. It's never Kadarius Toney, who are the guys where I feel like Burrow always has somebody. Allen always has somebody, even Trevor Lawrence. I'll go even far as to look at uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Like he also... They're able to expose defenses, and I don't feel like we're being played differently than a Burrow or an Allen. For some reason, we're just not finding those spots in the zone, or we're not beating the guy, you know, man and man. Like I said, like yesterday, seeing Diggs, like seeing Diggs make two plays. I wish we'd have a guy that can, you know, get the burners on and and beat an, an elite corner. Where I just I rarely see that anymore, Reese. I mean, since Tyreek Hill, I don't know if I've ever seen us blow by a corner before, and that's that's that should be sounding the alarm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We really haven't had anybody since Tyreek Hill's left that can stretch the field and threaten teams in that way. Even, even Juju, who, who who you said was like you know much better than than we gave him credit for, like Juju was good and Juju did well for us, but Juju was not beating guys. No, sorry, continue. Juju was so good because Juju was safety valve number two. Like on third down, Pat was looking for Kelsey. If Kelsey was double covered or getting locked up. Juju was able to make his own play which again this brings me back to the question we asked I think a season two seasons ago which is like on third and six who on this team do you trust to make a play and at this point we can't even trust Travis Kelsey not to his own fault because he's yeah he's double covered double covered triple covered he's 34 now so I you know I like your point on Cincinnati and the fact that like you look up and down the list it's like oh Jamar Chase had a quiet night four for 41 but Tyler Boyd had three for 56, which means he had three big plays. And T. Higgins is like, mm-hmm. okay, guys, I got the load tonight. Eight for 110. I mean, that's that's a straight-up luxury. And, you know, yeah. in the past, the Chiefs oh, have had that. You know, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill being dogs. And when Sammy Watkins was healthy, yeah, Sammy Watkins was a great third option. But, oh, man, dude, I tell you what. It's like when you're watching Looney Tunes and they're, like, crawling out in the desert and they finally find, like, the spigot in the middle of the desert – they crank the handle and all that comes out is just the <laughs> sound dude that's our receiving slash tight end room right now 
Uh, Reese, uh, actually, I, I'm actually glad you you brought up the comparison last night between Bengals and Chiefs because now I get to like really kind of look at what they did. If you look at the Bengals like wide 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 receiver room from last night. Last night, T. Higgins has a long of 21. Boyd has a long of 32. Jamar Chase has a long of 32. Drew Sample has a long of 22. And even Tanner Hudson has a long of 17. That's five huge plays, right? Mm-hmm. Where I don't even, I, I, I don't have the stats up from, uh, from Frankfurt. But I dare to say we didn't have five of those plays. No. Where Burrow, right, barely beats the Bills, not even puts up, you know, 24 points, and he had five huge plays. And it would be a miracle if we had a long of 22. Well, you know, it's it's so strange. And like this is on a daily basis. The Cincinnati Bengals get this and we get that once against the Arizona Cardinals every other year. Well, and I mean, uh, to another good point, too, you mentioned it and I brought it up earlier with T Higgins. And the same goes for Jamar Chase and Boyd is that with a lot of these big plays, a lot of them are like, all right, third and eight. Joe Burrow just lofts one down the sideline. Their guy jumps up in double coverage and comes down with it. (laughs) There's no yak on that. Some of our longest plays yesterday, Noah Gray had a long at 25, Skymore had a long at 23. How many of those were yards after catch? There is yeah, no vertical right. passing game going Both on this of offense right now. Yeah, it's wild. It's a problem. Um, I'm jealous just watching the stats of all these other teams. But yeah, I mean, sure, maybe we have like a little magnifying glass. Like, of course, it's still Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes still finds a way to, to beat teams. And like, yes, I'm I'm worried. But would I be surprised if Patrick Mahomes takes us on his back and George Karloftis takes us on his back to the Super Bowl? No, I wouldn't be surprised. It just It's going to be really freaking hard. Speaking about really freaking hard, let's finish off the podcast and talk about predictions for after the bye week oh man well so we all know andy reed's record off of bye week i don't know what it is at this point you know it's like i don't know in his career it's like 16 and 4 or something you know he's he's great off the bye week the question is you're playing the super bowl runner-up eagles who while they have themselves looked kind of sloppy and disjointed this year are still probably the best team in the nfc at this point in time they're also going to want revenge for the Super Bowl. They're going to want revenge on Andy Reid for taking a Super Bowl from them, and then they kicked him out of town incorrectly. But this is going to be a very telling game. You're coming off of the bye week, seven fifteen, prime time, on ABC. What's what team's going to show up here? Are we just going to have another like quarter, maybe two quarters of the Chiefs' offense hoeing and humming, and you know putting up eh, seventeen to twenty points, and then they stall out for another thirty minutes? Or are we going to see a complete game from the Chiefs? This is a dangerous rushing attack we're seeing against the Eagles. And with our best rushing linebacker out for a while, Nick Bolton, this is going to be a very do-or-die game. Uh, I really hope we do. But I will say, alluding to the podcast last week, I had four stamped losses on here. We already took one of those stamped losses off of there. So anything on this point is house money. I'm just going to say don't screw it up. Yeah, I'm actually more excited just to see how this offense is outside of a bye than the actual score. Like, again, if we lose, fine. If we win, fine. But I'm more excited to see 
do they fix their mistakes this bye week is this may be the most important bye week in Chiefs history, Reese. I'm going to go that far. I'm going that far to say this bye week is the time where they are in the film room and they are doing the most studying they've ever done in their lives to figure out what is going wrong, how can they fix it. If, is this a naggy problem? Is this just we're not getting separation? Are we not running the right routes? Can they fix all those things? And if they can, then I'm excited. What does this Chiefs team look like against the Philadelphia Eagles? Which, you know, one of the greatest Super Bowl games I've ever seen last last year, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be really great. But it's only gonna be great if our wide receivers figure it out. If they can't, I think we get blown out. Oh, not blown out, because I think I think this defense can shut them down. Like I man, I can't can't wait to see some AJ Brown and McDuffie, man. I can't wait to some McDuffie revenge from the Super Bowl. AJ Brown like going like shirt, burp, shirt. For those of you that aren't watching live because we're not live, I'm just like AJ Brown stiff arming everyone and just making everyone look like, you know, little kids. I can't wait for those matchups. Um, so I think we'll hold our own because of the defense. But man, if, if the offense can figure out just a little bit, again, it doesn't have to be a lot, but if we can figure out just a sliver, you know, if Rice can figure it out more, if we can figure out Tony, if we can figure out Hardman, if we can figure out, you know, Sky Moore, figure out what's one guy, just figure out one guy and his role. And what it means for this team, then I'm excited. Even if we lose, even if we lose, Reese, but like we see this offense come together, I would be so happy. I agree. I think at this point forward, uh, I think so long as we see moderate improvements in the offense for the remaining, what is it, two, four, six? How are there only eight games left in this season? Oh my gosh, the NFL season. I know. We're past the halfway point. Isn't that crazy? Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. But, you know, they say the NFL is a game of inches. And you know the what? What do they say? The uh, the margin for error in the NFL is so tight. But if that's the case, why does our receiving room look so much worse than literally every other receiving core in the NFL when we have a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback under center? I think that's going to be the big question. I think it's poetic that we have a bye week. You know, at the halfway point of the season, first half's in the books. Defense, keep up your good player, at least within a margin of error of it. Offense, we need you to show up. Help me, Ben Kenobi. You're my only hope. <laughs> uh, to end the podcast, I'm just looking at the Eagles schedule. Not that it matters, but I'm just looking at just all the random teams on the list. All of them have better wide wide receiver rooms than the Chiefs. The Vikings, the Bucks, the Commanders, the Rams, the Jets, even, I would say, have a better room. The Dolphins, the Cowboys. I just named like a ton of teams, some mid, some not mid. All have better wide receiver rooms than the Chiefs right now. Unacceptable. I'm just going to say it. Like, Figure it out. It, it, I know Puka Nakua is not like putting a bunch of touchdowns, but he's like a possession receiver monster. Huge. So much better wide receiver room than us, the Rams. How hard can it be to identify a dude like Puka Nakua? Like, if you go back and watch his tape pre-draft, I admittedly didn't know who he was before the draft. I didn't. But, like, if you watch his tape, how do you... But you're also not getting paid millions of dollars to try to, right? True. (laughs) But how would you see his game footage and be like, oh, this is a guy that just has, like, an absolute knack for getting open and running, like, buttery smooth routes. Even someone like Tutu Atwell... What I'm saying is Puka was a fifth-round receiver. How does nobody identify the skill set he has before even, like, I'll be generous and say the fourth round, you know? Yeah. No, no, I I, I didn't mean 
what I said about you not getting paid a million dollars to say like you're you're not in the room. I'm saying like you, Reese, today with your knowledge, if someone were to offer you a million dollars, you would find uh, Pukunakua. Like like any of us could find it if that becomes our job, right? Like you're right, it shouldn't be hard. It, except it is apparently because we get guys like hard men. Oh, dude. Or should uh, I say a hard mid? Mid cold, hard mid. Mid cold. Uh, we didn't even talk about the special teams gaffes. We didn't even talk about the third fine. one. We'll not handoff. Week. Oh, dude. Get me out of here but before I give a stunner to somebody, dude. I'm just yeah, let's. It. <laughs> All right. We're going to get we're going to get out of here. Uh, enjoy the bye week. Uh, TBD, whether we do either a Chiefs pod or a beer pod or maybe we just not do one. But um Rest well on this bye week. Enjoy the bye week because we're going to hit the ground running. We got the Eagles coming up. Um, Stay tuned. But again, follow us on Spotify. Um, Send us some comments on those questionnaires. Follow us on Patreon. And we'll see y'all at least, if not next week, uh, the week after that against the Eagles. Until then, go Chiefs. Be safe. See you later. Go Go Chiefs. Thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 